2: Hello and welcome to the Mindfield podcast from Anfield Index Pro, your sports psychology podcast where we chat all things the mind and Liverpool Football Club. As you all know, we're on our summer hiatus where we're interviewing uh, new guests, and it's not to try and get rid of Andrew, I swear. But we 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 have a late substitution join us, and we are so delighted to have this man on. We hope to have him on uh, later in the, this. Uh, routine of this roster, as Andrew would call it, but um, we had a faller. So Dave Hendrick has uh, stood up and joined us. Dave, how are you doing?
3: I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good, actually, because I've been promoting your podcast any time I've had the opportunity. Not often enough, by the way. My only complaint is you don't do them often enough, but I always say it's the best podcast in the Liverpool sphere and I genuinely mean that I'm not blowing smoke just because I'm here. I didn't expect to get invited on, but it does make sense that people that talk about psychology would want to know what exactly <laughs> is wrong with me. My mother had my, had me tested, and I'm fine. That's all I can say.
2: Well, that's what we're here for. Andrew is actually going to run a live, on-air uh, analysis of Mr. Dave Hendrick. Andrew, how are you doing?
4: <laughs> I'm good. Well, it's nice to know, actually, that Dave had listened to the pod and meant it when he was talking about it because he was so profusive with like the compliments he gave us. I remember like when we listened to it, I, like there was one time I forget what that pod was where he was promoting us. And I was like, I wonder if he's heard us or if he just got the nod from gags. And, like, cause like I like what we do, but I was, I was very pleased with that. So it's nice to know. And Dave, great to have you on, especially now that um, you're full of compliments.
3: Yeah, and it's a rare thing that I'm full of compliments. Like, so it's, you know, I, 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 know. I don't As just I the before, I've
4: listened to an awful lot of you, yeah.
2: <laughs> and I think today we're recording on Thursday, the 13th of June, July, June, June, July. Jesus. Why? Anyway, it is July the 13th of July. Uh, I'm about to go on my holidays. That's why I'm a bit all over the shop today, and. We were were thinking about having a general conversation with Dave around uh, the influence of Saudi Arabia and and football and people's reactions to that. Uh, And then it's just turned into this crazy roundabout of pretty much our whole midfield leaving today, (laughs) according to all the reports. So it's going to be an interesting few days and what we're going to talk about is not only the Influence of Saudi Arabia and what it's doing to football in inverted commas, but also looking at if we were to lose our six first team midfielders or six of our first eight first team midfielders in one transfer window, what are the opportunities and and challenges that that will present? But first off, let's get into it. So there's been so much talk about Jordan Henderson and as we know dave i think you might have spoken about jordan once or twice in the past but um there's been a lot of talk about him going to saudi arabia for massive amounts of money and people are on different sides of the fence some people are saying good man go for it get the big payday other people are going all the stuff the lgbtq plus stuff that you've supported all the the, the charities that you've supported you're turning your back on them by accepting this money, but if this deal does go through, and that's where we're working off that at the moment, it looks like he's accepted it. So if the clubs can agree a fee, he'll be leaving. What's your take on it?
3: I'm, I'm still torn as to whether I fully believe it. Now maybe that's just me not allowing myself to believe it because my own thoughts on Henderson as a player are well known, and I'm not here to sort of you know take over your podcast by talking about him as a player, so much as to talk about him and this offer. And I didn't think that the offer would be real. I thought it was maybe, you know, a bit of PR spin because there was a lot of negativity around him coming off of last season. Then we saw the pictures where he's working out during the summer and he looks like Rocky coming back in and the videos are leaked with the you know, the, the eight-pack. And he looks in great shape. Credit to the lad he has clearly gotten himself in phenomenal shape. So I just assumed, like, he's not going to do that and then leave. But then more and more inf- information starts to leak out and you start to think, OK, maybe this is real. Now, I've said before, I think for players at the end of their careers, so your Christianos, your Benzemas, your Cantes, your Firminos and your Hendersons, if you're over the hill and on the decline and somebody is willing to offer you significantly more money to do an easier version of your job I think you should take it because you've got a short career you've got a short window and I know for me if someone offered me seven times what I earn now to go and do the same thing but an easier version I'd take it I'd run and take it but Obviously, there is other factors to to bring into the discussion here. You you mentioned the LGBTQ thing, and that's obviously something that Henderson has been very prominent on, and he's a a big campaigner for the Rainbow Laces movement. So there is that balance to strike, but at the same time, I'm not going to be the one to say anything disparaging about him taking the opportunity to maximise his own earning potential. Because it's not fair for any of us to disparage the whole of Saudi Arabia over the beliefs of the regime. Because not every Saudi person supports the regime. Not every Saudi person is going to be pushing for you know the same type of thing. So can Henderson go there and impact change? Is it? Is the targeting of Henderson perhaps the first sign of change that maybe bringing in a prominent supporter of LGBTQ rights the sign that maybe the Saudis are starting to become more I, I don't want to say modernised and I don't want to say open-minded because I don't want to obviously a lot of their feelings are based in their religion and I don't want to in any way insult the religious aspect of it But maybe they're starting to soften those stances. We've seen it in other aspects where, let's just take, for example, WWE have been hosting events in Saudi for a number of years now. And for the first few years, they wouldn't allow female participants. And now they do. And maybe there is a softening on certain things where they're going to try and merge their culture with more of Western culture and become a bit more accepting of aspects of Western culture that maybe they would have closed the doors on before.
2: Yeah, and you're making some very interesting arguments there, Dave. And I know, Andrew, we had a number of people on during the World Cup in relation to the challenges in Qatari and and some of the, the real hot topics over there during the World Cup. And to my knowledge, things haven't changed too much and we were discussing that at the time. But maybe Dave's highlighting that there is an understanding that in order to gain acceptance in the West that we need to like Dave says, so often some of our our beliefs, is that your take on it as well? Or what's your feelings about even someone like Jordan going over there? And would you expect him to maintain his stance, especially around the LGBTQ plus uh, situation over there? Or is he, because he's getting paid so much money, is his silence being bought, do you think?
1: and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
4: Yeah, I think, honestly, I mostly think that this is a really difficult question. And like, I think part of what's so difficult is <laughs> not your question so much, like the broader question of it, although like you've posed it in a challenging way, I guess. Um, you're looking at right and wrong through two totally different views of the world. And so the fact that right and wrong conflict here and the way right and wrong is looked at conflicts is complicated because it's, do you stand your ground and say, this is what I think is right do you hope that by bringing people together with different thoughts of this that somehow there's some cross-pollination that creates change and I think um you know Dave's point that being against Saudi Arabia isn't fair or Saudi Arabians isn't fair because not all Saudis necessarily agree with you know the, the regime or the laws of a country because you know like the that's what it is like within you can't judge an entire country of people based on um you know, the government there, the laws there, the, the people in power in that country. And as an American recently had a Trump presidency, I think it's especially important to point that out. But, um, you know, I think at the same time, if you're someone like Jordan Henderson, who's been so publicly an ally of the LGBTQ community, that's important. And like, I think you he can't go there and be silent. That just feels so disingenuous. And I think then there's, the, there's these arguments from both sides, right? There's this argument that, um, well, it's their culture and you have to be respectful of their culture. And then there's this other argument that, you know, you stand for this and you stood up for these people and it's important that matters. And like if that all was just hot air, then that makes you pretty hollow as a person. And I think it's a difficult line to walk because I think for anyone going into that situation, like if, you know, this move is indeed real, then you want to be respectful of the people who are hosting you, but you also want to stand up for what you believe in and finding a way to do both at the same time is really challenging. I think my answer to your question is that that's what I think he should do is find a way to do both at the same time. But I have no guidance as to what that looks like. I think that's a a real challenge. We don't know what that looks like. I don't think there's a, a blueprint for that right now. And, um, you know, maybe if Henderson is the the character that a lot of people build him up to be, or that we've heard about, then maybe he charts that path in a way that we don't recognize. I think, um, another thing for myself to keep in mind is during the, the podcast about the Qatar world cup, um, you know, one of the things for me was like, let me take a more optimistic stance about this and maybe there will be some change. And we got two weeks into that World Cup and immediately it was like, no, there's not. This is not how this is going to work. That is not how this is going to go. This will not be changing things. This is not going to have a lasting effect. People won't be looking at this. This isn't the world's attention now being turned to Qatar in a way that creates more openness. It was the opposite. And I think I, at the end, felt your decision to not watch that at all was something that I admired a lot. And my decision to be like, well, let's give this a shot is something that I ultimately feel was a little naive. And so I think taking that lesson too, you know, it's important here to just be mindful of like that. And like, will there be real change here? The answer is like, probably not, or it will be really slow. But I think it's a little naive to say like, oh, Henderson's going to go over there and make a huge difference. It's, that's not how this Mm. is going
3: to go. And that's not a realistic narrative for anyone. Right. yeah he he can't go there and, and bring in change by himself that's very simple but there's two things I want to just mention here number one it's worth remembering that the Saudis are currently trying to secure themselves a world cup so just keep that in mind here they have just watched the Qataris have a world cup they have seen everything that was said about Qatar about Qatari culture about those laws and those beliefs. So it may be that they're trying to get out in front of that a little bit so that if and when they do secure a World Cup that there isn't eight years of well what about this rule, this rule and this rule, what are you going to do about this so that could be a big part of the thinking here. But to bring it closer to home like Alan you're from just up the road from me homosexuality was only decriminalized in Ireland 30 years ago. 1993, June of 1993, homosexuality was decriminalized in Ireland. So we're not all that far removed from having the same sort of thought processes dictating our country as the Saudis have now. Now, obviously, people weren't being killed as punishment, but... The fact that it was still a criminal offense, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Andrew, it's 2004. Um, was it Lawrence versus Texas? Was the law that was passed in 2003, which saw all the remaining states that still had pockets where homosexuality was a criminal offense, was so that's only 20 years ago. So. We're very quick in the Western world to stand on these pedestals and say, oh, look how inclusive, look how great we are. But America just had a Donald Trump presidency, which saw every racist and cretin in the world crawl out from under its rock. England passed Brexit, which at its very core had a lot to do with racism. And this thought process of discrimination towards trans people, towards gay people, towards people of other skins, skin colour, people of other backgrounds, people of other orientations. This has all come to the floor once again. So while it's very easy for people to just look at the Saudis and look at Qatar and look at the rest of the Middle East and say, oh, well, they're barbaric. Closer to home, we're not all that far away either. There are significant portions of people in our own countries who would happily see homosexuality made criminal again, who would happily see um, segregation again. Like, you know, so, yes, it's easy to, to look and and say, God, it's awful the way the, they, they do things in Saudi Arabia, but, you know, we're, we're not all that much better ourselves over here. And we should have more understanding that They're further behind in the process than we are, obviously. But hopefully, at some point, those countries will become inclusive. Because if those countries want to become the major powers that they want, the global powers they want, they're going to have to be. It's a simple matter of of fact. They're going to have to be. They're going to have to become more inclusive because they're going to be bringing in workers from outside. And more and more of those workers are going to be people who have other sexual preferences than just, you know, what they view as acceptable. So, like, we just need to be very cautious when we rush to disparage them. When, you know, again, 2003, there were places in America where homosexuality was illegal. 1993, homosexuality was illegal in Ireland. So, you know, that's just... uh, I think we need to give them a little bit more... I don't want to say credit, I don't want, I don't know what the right word is, but I think you guys know what I mean. I do think we just need to be a bit more patient with them, and not just say, well, they'll never change. Because in the 80s here, people would have thought the idea of homosexuality being legal was an absolute crazy idea.
2: Yeah, and th- that's absolutely fair, Dave. And I think, you, again, you're making a compelling point. And I think it, for, for me, it comes back to individual choice and individual how we live as individuals in this world. And so where I would stand on it personally, I wouldn't go for a hundred times my salary, 10 times my salary to go and work in Saudi Arabia. Um, And and I'm okay with that. And I'm all, you know, if you're going to go and do it, that's your decision. And we all have to make our own decisions at any given time. And, Look, I'm in four or five different WhatsApp groups and everyone's like, oh, you know, if you were given the money, well, no, I actually wouldn't. (laughs) And I think it was the same with the World Cup. I'd say I saw two minutes of the World Cup and that's when I came in to say hello to my dad and he was watching a match and it was on the television. And that was it. And I, I have no idea. And I don't feel like I missed out. And I don't feel that my not watching the World Cup had any impact on anybody else and it doesn't matter to me that's not what's important but what i what i'm curious to to watch is if the deal goes through how jordan handles it how he deals with the inevitable questions he's going to be given and anybody going there they're going for money and People will say, "Well, you know you can go and secure your family's you know uh finances for generations, and guess what they already have secured their family's income for generations way more than anybody than any average person, so what Jordan Henderson has earned in his career to this date is more than probably the three of us would earn in." 10 lifetimes put together. Yeah, that's true. So this talk of well, you know, he could come home with, uh, you know, be a 100 million quid in his bank account, that literally means nothing. And it's not necessarily a good thing for his family and his children because What does that entail? Well, then do they become entitled? Do they lose a sense of purpose to actually build a life for themselves because they're relying on daddy's money for life? So, you know, and okay, we could get into a whole societal discussion here around money and and generational wealth, but we talk about generational wealth as if it's a good thing, but I don't know if it is actually a good thing because what, what do we give out about rich, fat, white men running everything? And what is this going to do? It's going to continue the the existence of families passing down money potentially down the, the line up. where no, it's not Pardon? He's, have you
4: seen the pictures? Henda's not a fat white man, you know, he's <laughs> in good shape. Yeah,
2: he's getting out of shape. Yet <laughs> But I just think we we have to move away from in life, like we have to move away from the importance of money being above all and else. Because Dave, Andrew, I don't know if either of you have ever been in a job that paid relatively okay, but you fucking hated going to work every single day. Well, that money meant nothing or means nothing. And what we have to do is actually start the conversation around, well, Jordan Henderson is rich. And, okay, I don't know if he's got a major gambling issue or anything like that, but that's not the point. He is rich. His family are going to be okay money-wise, but we have to start this conversation around what is more important and what we believe in, for me, is ultimately more important than the amount of zeros in the bank that we have.
4: I do think there's an um, important question there, too, of to what extent he has to compromise what he believes in to go there. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, Dave's point there that it's important to, to look in the mirror a little bit and look at home becomes an important one. I think, you know, we have to be cautious about vilifying too much and that we also have to be conscious about not calling all things equal too much. Like difference is difference in different different matters. Like the way homosexuality is viewed in Saudi Arabia is really different from how things are in Ireland or are in the United States now. I mean, not universally, but like it's important to be mindful of that difference and not just be like, you know, we weren't that much better a little bit ago. So let's, you know, not worry about it, which isn't what I think Dave was saying at all. But I think sometimes that can be the thing is – for someone to be like, we weren't much better, so let's just not worry about it. And, like, that's, you know, that's important to not fall into there either. And so, like, I think, um, yeah, I, I guess that you would hope that someone's values and what matters to someone is more important to them than the money, especially if they already have a lot of money. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like, is there a version of this where he can continue to be an outspoken ally because that's that's important it's too important to real people and like that matters um, to
3: suddenly go by the wayside mm. and- I mean the point that Alan makes about, about the fact look Henderson is already rich beyond his wildest dreams he's a working class lad from Sunderland who's currently being paid 10 million a year to play football for Liverpool and this is not his first contract obviously he joined the club 12 years ago he has made many many millions since joining so he is secure his family is secure his grandkids and his great-grandkids and probably the grandkids after that they'll all be financially secure so i suppose there there is a definitely the strong case like alan said that how much money is too much money you know and and what does it mean what does it actually do for him He would only be going there for money. There's no way he can spin this into a positive thing. There's no way any of them can. None of them grew up dreaming of playing in Saudi Arabia. There's no argument to be made that the Saudi Pro League is on par with even the Eri Divisi. You know, at most you might put it on par with the Scottish uh, Scottish Premiership. So it's a significant step down in quality. It is basically a lot more money for a lot less work. That is the be-all and end all of it. And I suppose when you really do think about it, it with what he's said and what he's act how what he's done and, and my look, my initial reaction was based on everything I know about him as a person, I don't think he'd go there. This was six weeks ago when it was first kind of murmured. Remember when Gerard was first going there and then he didn't go there and then he eventually did? The first time around there was talk that Gerard would like to bring Henderson. Seemingly, and I I, I can't 100% confirm this, but I've done quite a bit of digging on the Saudi Pro League today. So the PIF have basically taken over the running of the Pro League. And they've specifically taken over four clubs. Al-Halil, Al-Ali, Al-Nazir, and I think al Ittihad is the other one. And those clubs, they're going to back them to the hilt. But the other clubs, they've said they will help pay for one or two major signings in terms of wages and whatever else. And it appears like like Stephen Gerrard has decided that Jordan Henderson and Sadio Mane might be the two big money signings he'd like to bring into his club. So his money, his money would be coming directly from the PIF as well. It wouldn't be like he's going to a club that's privately owned, where you could say, oh, well, you know, he's not getting PIF money. This is this is something else. He's, uh, he's getting some private citizens money. This money will be coming directly from the PIF. And that does really count against what we know of him. It, it, it does, uh, it's going to be very hard for him to get out of this. One way or another, even if he stays, it's going to be hard for him to get out with his reputation intact
2: it really is and i think like we as a collective fan base have vilified man city and their owners and the how things operate there uh, we've across the board psg get vilified for how things have operated there i don't know how different it is relative going to now, I know Jordan Henderson isn't breaking any rules by going, but the morality of it. And it is very, we've got to be careful about standing on our own little pedestals because of where we've come from. But we are where we are. And, and that's where we're at right now. And I'm conscious of moving the conversation on a bit because, like we said, there's also talk that Fabinho... And um, there's an offer coming for Fabinho from Saudi. And then th- today there was also talk of Thiago going back to Barcelona. So essentially we could be losing our, six of our eight starting midfielders from last season and the two that are left are essentially kids. Um, and I want to delve into the impact that can have on one, the culture, two, as we discussed with Phil uh, Barter, the, the leadership group in inverted commas because a lot of those players were within that leadership group and the opportunities and challenges that are presented with that potential change and how we think Klopp will move this forward in a positive way. So I suppose, Andrew, what's your take on, on that side of things?
3: Hello. I mean, we just had that podcast where we talked about the captaincy
4: and I think actually moving Henderson and Milner on at the same time creates a huge amount of opportunity for new people to step up. And I think we need new voices. So in that sense, you know, great. I think that clears the way for something new. Um, you know, I think in terms of NABBY and Ox, um, they haven't really been in the team and and starting so much that I think that will make a huge difference. Like it's, um, you know, definitely a change again, but I don't know if there's a huge amount of replacing that needs to be done there so much as like something new should have happened a year or two ago anyways. Um, I think having Fabinho and Tiago gone all of a sudden would be kind of shocking and really surprising. Um, I don't know what kind of impact Fabinho has from a leadership perspective. Um, I'd hate to see Tiago go mostly just because he's so much fun to watch. Like, um, even if you only get him for a handful of games a season, his influence seems really strong. The kind of professional he is like the way he plays the game. Um, I would just love to have him around for another year just because I like watching him when he plays. And because I think he's probably a really positive influence around the group. Um, but it does create a whole bunch of new opportunity for new voices to, to rise to the top. And I think in some ways, like if we needed a total overhaul of how we play anyways, in some ways, and like an, an overhaul from the midfield, then getting rid of everyone at the same time is one way to do that. And I, that's probably something that can be fine, uh, given the circumstances here. Like we needed some change. And so this forces some change.
2: Yeah, and I do think some of the, the opportunities are really good and we may see some of those new players stepping up and joining that new leadership group. But Dave, what do you see as some of the challenges then of a, a complete overhaul of the leadership group? Uh,
3: the, the whole concept of the leadership group is is a little bit weird to me and it? it kind of... It's quite a modern thing and it's something that Klopp obviously brought in from Germany where it was more common. But, you know, traditionally in England, we had a captain and a vice captain and they were the strongest presence in the dressing room. And generally, they were two of the best players in the team. And they led both by their actions on the pitch and their personalities off the pitch. And the idea of a leadership group, to me, kind of suggests that those players don't have that kind of gravitas. But I don't see an issue with changing the whole group at once. Like Andrew said, I would ideally I would like to keep Thiago. I would extend his contract by a year if possible, play him 15 to 20 games a season, and just marvel in his brilliance because he's one of the most gifted footballers we've ever had at the club. If he's not willing to extend, though, I do think selling is the right choice because I'm just sick of watching us let players leave for free and watch money walk out the door. Divock Origi. Emre Chan. Ginny Wijnaldum. Adam Lallana, um Albi Moreno. Bobby. Naby. Ox. All of them gone for free. Hundreds of million invested. We couldn't have got good money back. For all of those players. If we'd sold them a year earlier. Of course we could. We let Sadio Mane run his contract down to 12 months. And we got 32 million from him. We could have got 60 the previous summer. So we are sell to buy that is how we operate we sell we spend what we generate and klopp is the best manager in the world to build a team like that but he's not hasn't been suited to rebuilding a team operating like that because he's too loyal and too sentimental and hangs on to players too long he did the same thing at dortmund and it's why ultimately he failed to rebuild his dortmund team I think he's taken a harder line, whether that's been forced on him by the owners or not, I don't know. But I do think that moving on, this group of midfielders, Keita, who'd clearly lost Klopp's trust and then couldn't stay fit. Ox, the same. Milner, he should have been let go three years ago. I mean, it's all well and good saying, oh, he's a club legend and he's this and he's that and he sets the standards, But when he goes out on the pitch, he isn't good enough and hasn't been for a few years. And the same is true of Henderson. He isn't good enough on the pitch anymore. And you can be as nice and as good as you want off the pitch and you can be great in the dressing room. But none of it matters. If you don't perform when the whistle goes, it doesn't matter. And you can be a very positive influence in the dressing room. But if you don't perform when the whistle goes, Your words stop carrying weight. And if we think of the great captains that we've all seen over the years, whether it's at Liverpool or elsewhere, they were always, always among the very best players on the pitch. And if they weren't, they were moved on. Alex Ferguson moved on. Brian Robson, legend. Steve Bruce, multi-time Premier League winning captain. Roy Keane. The best midfielder and captain that the Premier League has seen. Moved them on, ruthlessly. Chelsea have just moved on Aspilicueta, who won everything there is to win at the club over 11 years. A better player at his peak than Henderson was. Manchester City have moved on. Vincent Company, club legend, but his time had come. His race was run out the door. Fernandinho, club legend. These are great players. And they could still offer something. Time is up, out you go. Ilkay Gundogan has been arguably City's most important player for the last two years, scoring big goals when they need it. They just want to travel. Now, your time's up. You can have a one-year contract, but we're not doing any more than that. Oh, you want two years, off you go. Enjoy. Like, why is it only our club where we insist that we have to keep these players when they're no longer useful to us on the pitch. Why are we so obsessed with this impact they supposedly have off the pitch? I don't remember Manchester United fans lauding Darren Fletcher and Phil Neville and saying, we can't survive without them. When they were the, they produced as much on the pitch as Henderson and Milner have for us over recent years. That's their comp. They're not Keane, they're not Beckham, they're Fletcher and the lesser Neville. So there has to have been a time, like you could see it last season, you could see it last season, Henderson turning around and screaming at players. And they'd had enough. And they were responding in ways that you wouldn't see them responding to a captain that they had complete respect for. Because no matter what he does on the training ground or what he says or what things he does for charities, he's not performing on the pitch. The players aren't going to listen to him. Why would you listen to somebody who's letting you down game after game?
2: Yeah, and I always liken it to, you know, kids in the schoolyard. So the really, really nice kid, if he wasn't that good, he wasn't getting picked first in the five side at lunchtime. Or the bully, who wasn't very good, was getting picked first because you didn't want to get your head smashed in. And if that's the case, then the bully's in charge. So if Jordan's in charge rather than Jürgen, then we've got a serious issue. And I do think, I think last season ultimately is going to turn out to be, hopefully, a really good season in terms of it showing Jürgen the changes that he needed to make or showing those higher up that these are the changes we need to make and we need to not be as sentimental um, and and see it for what it is. This is not about the person. And it's funny, myself and Andrew will regularly talk about the importance of of seeing the human being. But it's it's unfair on James Milner to, you know, trot him out and stick him up right, right back against Wilfred Zaha it's just unfair. It's You know, it does him no favours, it does you no favours, it does nobody any favours except Zaha. And it's the same at Henderson. You can't keep trotting him out just because he's, you know, done a lot for the club or, you know, is a really nice guy and, you know, is a good captain. And some of the arguments I see to keep him there, they're just mind-boggling. You know, he's he's a great motivator. As if there are no other great motivators on that pitch. It, like, these are elite yeah. athletes who have had to work their asses off. They've worked harder than anybody else. Like, that's the thing. Like, we all played sports and we worked hard at sports. But those who made it to the elite level worked 100x times harder and they had the skill to go with it. So, these people know what it takes to get there. They know how to motivate each other. And ultimately, it's up to the, the coaches and the manager to be the the ultimate motivators.
3: Uh, Do you know the thing is, I haven't seen anybody make a footballing reason for keeping Henderson at the club. Not one. I've seen, oh, he still has a lot to offer, but when you ask people what it is he has to offer, it's all intangible stuff. So first things first, part of being a great leader is creating other leaders. And I'll always remember hearing Gary Neville say that, when Ferguson came to him and said, Keane is gone, you're the new captain, he was shocked because he'd never viewed himself as a captain. But when he thought about it, he realised Keane had been preparing him to be a captain, as he had with many others in the squad. He was passing on those habits. This is how we do things. Neville could perform at a good enough level that he could contribute week in, week out. For teams that won, I think he won eleven Premier League titles in his career, so there was no doubting while not a great player that he was good enough to take on the responsibility and had had the gravitas of being there for years through great teams the treble, etc, so younger players had his, would respect him as well. But the other thing is, I find it really disrespectful to the genuinely great world class players like Allison and Virgil and Thiago and Trent and Mo etc 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 to suggest that these guys would somehow stop turning up for work wouldn't work as hard wouldn't know what to do like these are the guys that won us the Premier League and Champions League we won it because of them we didn't win it because James Milner and Jordan Henderson were setting standards on the training ground we won it because those guys were out in the pitch and were world class week in and week out And yet when we won those things, it was the two lesser players that got far more of the credit. But when we didn't win things and things went badly as they did last season, it wasn't Jordan and James that got the blame. It was Virgil, it was Trent, it was Salah, it was Thiago can't stay fit. It's always baffled me. And again, we're the only club that I've seen this happen at, where the success is credited to the lesser players... We wouldn't have won it without them. Couldn't have won it without them. But yet, they didn't win anything without those great players. And in truth, Milner's never won anything as a starter. He's always been a squad player. He's lost every final he's ever started in his entire career. So he's won his medals on the back of others' great work. He played a part, but that's all it was. The same thing goes for Henderson. We won those trophies on the back of great players, But yet, when those lesser players became such an issue as Henderson was last season, and the whole team suffered, it wasn't them they got the blame. Where was the leadership that we can't live without last season? Where was it in the 2021 season when we struggled? When Virgil wasn't there? Where was the leadership? See, you'll find no mention of Jordan Henderson's great leadership prior to January 2018. When Virgil arrived, the team exploded into a different level with his arrival. And yet he didn't get enough credit for it. We collapsed without him in 2021. And yet that wasn't looked at deeply enough. We improved, by the way, when Henderson got hurt that year. So the leadership clearly wasn't an issue. In 2021-22, Virgil was back and brilliant again. But Virgil was poor by his own standards last year and clearly wasn't fully on board with everything that was going on. And again, we were awful. But surely this mythical leadership would have just taken control and everything would have been fine if we can't survive without this man. Why were we so poor last season with him?
0: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. Ha! <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout.
2: And obviously, you know, we are talking about Jordan given the the news that is coming out now. And Andrew, are you ultimately saying that you see this as a an, a potential opportunity to re-establish a new culture with new players and new voices in the dressing room that could help spur us on and show the world that Jürgen can rebuild and bring success back to Liverpool.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, I think with the talk about leadership and influence and what someone brings on-field versus off-field, it's also, you know, the same way when you're assessing the needs of a group, you look at what's needed on the field. Like If you're assessing the needs of the group, you also do want to look at the needs off the field. And I think, like, um, Milner going to Brighton right now. What are Brighton trying to do? Well, right now, one of the things that they're looking to do is figure out how to go from being a mid-table team to a European team regularly. In that sense, he understands that. He's been on the best teams that have played in Europe and he knows the standard that needs to be set there. They might not have another a bunch of other players in that group who do truly understand that. In that case, having that influence and having some people be able to watch him matters. Does it matter as much with the group that we have right now? No, because they all already know what's needed to compete at that high of a level. It's why also when I look at that the midfielders who are going out, well most of them should have been gone before now anyways. I think we don't necessarily need that same influence from Milner or from Henderson, like whatever that influence was. And I think, you know, when it's me, I usually try to listen to what the coaches and other players are saying. You know, I think sometimes that can be a little naive and you're getting a little bit of a story, but I also tend to think like when Klopp is saying Milner is a huge presence and other players are saying Milner is a huge presence, there's no reason not to believe that he's been influential for them. I think it's just also a matter then of looking at at what point is that influence not so important. He's already had his influence. Henderson is, to whatever extent it was important for him to rub off on Trent, it's already happened. For whatever extent it was important for Milner to rub off on other people, I think it's already happened. And it becomes really important for the next group to have their voices elevated, which can't happen if it's clogged up at the top. And so, um, yeah, I do think this is a really good opportunity in the short term and in the long term it's a necessary
3: opportunity actually i think part I really of what like, we were seeing last season. i really clock. like the point andrews making about how, how Mil- milner can be a huge influence at Brighton because they're trying to get to that next level and that's that's maybe where milner's great influence was he came from city who'd won things and he could show us like you know what are they doing he's like an agent that's come in well this is what they do over there and these are the practices that they have and that's how Milner influenced but once we got to the top Milner's influence was no longer there like he helped us get to that first Champions League final and that was kind of maxed out into what Milner could offer as a player then obviously behind the scenes he can offer a bit more and help us elevate that little bit further to go and win it the next season and then we win the league and that's where his Liverpool journey should have ended because he could no longer impact things on the pitch and his impact off the pitch, as Andrew has mentioned, it had happened at that point. And the same thing is probably true of Henderson. We're probably, we've probably evolved past these players, is, is the bigger point. So Henderson can go and look, if he went to Sunderland, I think he could have an incredible impact. And that's where I had hoped he would go. I wanted Milner to go back to Leeds and Henderson to go back to Sunderland. Because at the end of it all, I love the romance of a player going back to the club that made them. If Henderson goes to Saudi, obviously that goes out the window. If he doesn't, then maybe the Sunderland thing happens next summer. But I do think, even if he stays, a new leadership group needs to be established. He can be club captain if he stays, but there needs to be a new team captain. And it needs to be Virgil. And then... It needs to come up behind him with Salah and Allison and Trent and Robbo. And those are the players that need to shape the next five years of this club. Not the players who have shaped the last five years, shall we say.
4: Yeah, I think one of the problems with Henderson is I don't, both as a player on the pitch and a leader off of it, I don't think he can gracefully step aside. I think he's too competitive. And, like, that's that's a good quality. It's part of the quality that's gotten him to where he is, right? The same way Klopp's loyalty has gotten him to where he is to some extent, but also has a second edge to it. Um, same with Henderson's competitiveness and drive. And so, you know, it's getting to a point in his career where he's never going to be comfortable with a reduced role. He's never going to be comfortable probably stepping aside and letting other people have a greater voice than him and being sort of like a more of a background figure. And, and so I think with that being the case, like the only way is for him to be someone else.
3: Mm. Look, they all, they all have huge egos. He's no different. When he was dropped in the eighteen nineteen season, he didn't accept it. His ego took over. He went and he demanded to get back into the team and Klopp changed the team to enable him to come back in. In 2021, he wasn't getting the contract. His ego took over, the competitive nature. These are getting new contracts. I want one too, you know? So he he did what he did, and he got a new contract. And now new players have come in. He's He's got to be realistic, though, and look at the likes of Sabah's lie and say, right, well, I'm not getting in the team as much. Maybe not I'm not getting in the team at all, but I'm not getting in the team as much, and that's not acceptable to me. I want to play for England at the Euros, et etc., et cetera, et cetera. And that might be the biggest driving spur in him to go. And it is possible that just the only offer he has just happens to be this one. And it comes with the added thing of, oh, all of this money on the side as well. But, you know, it's tough to know. It's tough to know if any of it is real either. It might turn out that tomorrow he announces he's staying. He's turned down the thing and people will laud him and fawn over him. And it'll all have been for the greater good of furthering Jordan Henderson's image.
2: But it has given us the basis of what's been an excellent podcast. Dave, I want to take this moment to say thank you so much for joining us and joining us at the last minute as well. We really, really appreciate it. We've both been really looking forward to having you on the podcast. We're big fans of you and it's nice to hear that you're fans of us as well. Andrew, thank you as always for your expertise. Have we any final thoughts? Dave, we'll come to you first.
3: I just hope that if this works out the right way for the club that you know if 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 Henderson moves on that it's done the right way and that he does get the send-off he deserves you know and and gets the plaudits that 12 years at the club warrants I hope that we then turn round and do the business we need to do to replace Fabinho with whoever that player might be plus the player we already need right now. Because my way of looking at it is, we have replaced Henderson, but we still need one more in. If Fab goes, we need two. Even if Henderson stays, we need two. If both of them leave, I think we still only need two. I don't think we need to buy another replacement for Henderson, but I do think if Fabinho goes, we need two. And I think that needs to happen, because we cannot leave ourselves short again. That's The be-all and end-all is... All I want is Liverpool to win everything every year. And I don't think that's too much to ask. Some might say it's selfish, but I don't care. I grew up having to listen to United fans bleat on year after year about how they were winning the league. So if you think I haven't carried that into my adulthood, (laughs) adulthood, I absolutely have. I want us to win everything every single year. Simple as that.
2: Brilliant. Andrew, any final thoughts from you? No, Dave, (laughs) thanks for coming on. and
4: You know, I I think... um, (laughs) I think the, the Saudi Arabia and LGBTQ plus stuff is. I hope we keep talking about it in different ways because, like, if nothing else, like the conversation is important, and continuing to think about it is important, and
3: wrestling with it is yeah, important. It is one hundred percent. It's the most you know important I mean? thing we can do on these. Is we have a look whether there's five people listen to us or fifty thousand. We have to be able to promote things that are important. And equality is the most important thing we can promote right now. That, and obviously stopping the issues we have in all nations with childhood poverty and such. But we can't do much about that from a podcast. We can promote equality. And I do think it's really important that we continue to talk about Saudi Arabia and Qatar. And like the, the stuff you guys did during the World Cup and about the World Cup was amazing. And if you ever need me again, just let me know. But thank you so much for the invite. I have genuinely enjoyed this so much.
2: Brilliant stuff. And thank you too, Dave. Listeners, we will be back very soon with the next Minefield podcast. Look after yourselves. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to
1: subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show